Now, when, when we start a year in this church, we usually start a year with an idea, an idea that will sort of carry us through the whole year. It's like a theme. We start with an idea that we want to sort of draw back to our remembrance as we go through the year. So that a lot of the sermon series that we'll, uh, that we'll write during the year will have some relationship to the theme that we, we, we're trying to portray. The idea that we do this is we, we try and lay down a body, of, a body of truth for you so that as we go through life, we learn more, we become more enriched, we become stronger in our faith because we have some consistent teaching on something rather than it just come along and I'll just pull out a sermon out of here and another one out of there and it's all over the place. We try and teach truth along a line of ideas so that there's a foundation built in our lives. It's like an education, a spiritual education, if you like. So the theme for this year, I really feel the Lord wants us to have a theme, and this is the theme, incarnating Christ. Now you'll say, what on earth is that? Incarnating Christ. So today's sermon will be about explaining what incarnating is. And we, you will hear by the time the end of this year, We'll be out, um, somebody say, oh, well, I suppose I need to incarnate Christ a little bit better, you know, or something like that. And, and you, everybody will have the same mind. Remember we talked about principle and relationship years and years ago? And we did some, you know, and, and, you, and, and now we can go through that and we can talk about that. Everybody knows what that idea is about. Maybe it's a bit bad for some of you because you weren't here when we did that, so we'll have to do that again sometime maybe. But this, yeah, it's called Incarnating Christ. Now, the incarnation often refers to the, the fact that Jesus became flesh. That Jesus, the Son of God who lived in heaven, who was with God before creation, before anything took place, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all lived together in heaven. And Jesus decided to come to earth and to clothe himself with flesh. That act of clothing himself with flesh is called the incarnation. Jesus became flesh. And the word incarnate means to clothe with flesh. But I don't think that it's just Jesus who did the incarnating of God the Father. It's like Jesus wants us to incarnate him to other people. He wants us to be the, the flesh that looks like him, to be the, the, the mind that thinks like him, to be the heart that feels like him, to be the eyes that see like him, to be the hands that touch like him. He wants us to put on Christ in such a way that we clothe Christ with our flesh and we become little Jesuses running around. That's incarnating Jesus. And that's the ideas that we want to bring to you this year. We want to talk to you about those this year. We want to focus on the incarnation of Christ's character into our lives. Christ incarnating our lives Christ actualizing. In the world, they have Maslow's hierarchy of need. If you've done any education, any study, you'll have you've learned Maslow's hierarchy of need. And at the top of Maslow's hierarchy of need, it says if you've got your basic needs met down here, you're eating and food and you've got covering and shelter and you've got belonging and happiness and everything, then the top need, your self-actualization will take place. And they have your actualizing yourself at the top of the pyramid. That's the most important thing you could do. Well, Christianity is nothing like the world. It's not about self-actualization. It's about actualizing Christ. It's about becoming more like Jesus so that you live out Christ in your life so that people look at you and they say, when I see you, I see Jesus. 
And if people can see Jesus in you, if they can see Jesus' nature in you, if they see Jesus', see Jesus character in you, you are doing exactly what Jesus wants you to do. You are actualizing Christ in your life. If your response is the same response that Jesus would have, if your choices are the same choices that Jesus, if your feelings are the same feelings that Jesus, you are actualizing Jesus. You are bringing Jesus into your life and you're clothing him with your flesh. The one who lives inside of you is Christ. You just clothe Christ with your body. He is in full possession of you. That's incarnating Christ. Becoming more like Jesus and giving him a bodily expression in our lives. So that if Jesus wants to go somewhere, he says, where do you want to go, Jesus? He says, well, you can travel there yourself, can't you? Just go there. And He says, no, I want to go there in your body. You take your body and you go there and let me go there with you in your body. You like that idea? Turn to the neighbor and say to the neighbor, I think he's talking about being possessed. Now say to him, possessed of Jesus. That's a good one. I like that one. I don't want to be possessed of anything else. So to incarnate Christ means to give reality or substance to him. So that people can see what Jesus was really like, what Jesus is like, what he, what he would do, what he would say, what he would think. To incarnate Christ means to invest a bodily natural form to it. So that the reason why that little nun who walked around in Calcutta, what was her name? Mother Teresa? The reason why she was so powerful in her ministry was that she incarnated Christ in her ministry. Irrespective of what you think of the Catholic Church, what she did was what Jesus would do. And what she did, and when she looked at people, she incarnated Christ into the people she ministered to. Because one of the things she said, she says, when she looks at a beggar with leprosy on the street and she goes up and gives him a hug, she says, I see Jesus disguised in a beggar's body. So she would see Christ in the, 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 the person needing help. So she would incarnate Christ into the person, incarnate Christ into herself, and she would hug the beggar. It was powerful. It's such a powerful way of life. It's such a powerful way of living. It's such a powerful thing to do. It's to be fully present as you are in yourself, but let Jesus be fully present in you to minister himself through you so that both of you are now fully flesh and fully spirit working as God would want you to work. How about we do that this year? I think that's a good idea, don't you? And if we all do it as a body, then we are, as a community, incarnating our founder's values in his thoughts and his life. That's how we use the word. We incarnate as a community the values of our founder, who is Jesus. We are to personify, typify, to give concrete form to. We become a representative of. We make Jesus flesh for other people to see. So when they look at Kath, when she's giving out stuff on the van on Monday nights and she's asking God's prayer and praying for them, ministering to them, they don't see Kath. They see Jesus wrapped up in Kath's body because that's Jesus in action. Can you get that? Are you grasping that? Okay, let's, let's have a look at the incarnation. Let's see how it actually affects. And, and let's, there's no point in us having a theme or let, uh, no point in us doing anything if it's not bound in Scripture, if, if we're not asked by God in Scripture to do this. So we've got to establish from Scripture this is exactly what God wants us to do. In Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 to 7, these, this is what uh, 
Isaiah the prophet spoke about Jesus is this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called. Now when you have his name shall be called, what you got is the idea, this kid that was going to be born of a virgin, he was going to get a character or a name about himself. His name shall be called. They're going to call him something. He's not going to just be called Jesus. They're going to look at him and they're going to say, there's something about Jesus. And he's going to get a name for himself. And the name is going to be wonderful, it says, wonderful. So that when people would see Jesus, even though he was very ugly, they would say, wonderful, wonderful, counsellor. They would look at him and they would go, counsellor. They would see Jesus as the mighty counsellor. And then it says they would say, mighty God. Here's a man standing with sandals, hairy legs, long hair and a beard, standing in front of them. And he's, he's talking and he's making a miracle here and he's raising the dead here. And they'd say, mighty God. They would look at the man and they would say, he's God, mighty God. He would get a name for himself. He would so communicate something of God that he would be called that. Listen to what he says. It says, Mighty God, and then they will call him Everlasting Father. Well, that's a bit of an odd thing because it was the Son, not the Father. Yet the Son is here. He's the incarnation of the Father. He is the Father in the flesh. And what he does, he now communicates the Father to everybody. So much so that when you're looking at him, you're not seeing him any longer. You're seeing Heavenly Father. So now we get a picture of what incarnation looks like. Incarnation means that I'm going to act in such a way, I'm going to live in such a way, I'm going to do what I have to do in such a way that I'm going to get a name for myself. And people are going to say things about me. They're going to say things about me that are extraordinary because I'm just a human being here standing here. And they're going to call Mighty God, Everlasting Father. There's going to be a name about it. People are going to look and you're going to get a, a name for yourself when you incarnate something. You can incarnate evil. He's the embodiment of evil, they say. The incarnation of evil. A man who does dis disgusting and terrible things, they would say that. He's, he gets a name for himself. The incarnation of evil, or the embodiment of evil. We're looking to be the embodiment of Jesus. The embodiment of the Spirit of God. We're looking to get a name for ourselves. Has Jesus got a name? He's got an everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And of His increase and His government and peace, there will be no end. I like that because He knew that when He came and even when He left, it wouldn't make any difference because His incarnated presence would still be there and there would be no end to His government because His government rules out through our lives because we rule and reign with Christ in Him. Amen? And Jesus tells you a little about what the incarnation looks like for him. So here we have Jesus, he's walking around, he's talking to people. This is after he started his ministry. <clears throat> and Jesus gave them this answer in John chapter 5. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. 
You notice what you know, we know that Jesus is the Son of God in the flesh. We know that Jesus has all the character of God in bodily form. We know that. The Bible says that he, he, he didn't lose anything of his deity. He didn't become a man. He was fully God and fully man. He's a little bit different to us, you know. He's fully God and fully man. So he's all of God while he's here. But he then he says, you know, but these parts of God, like, um, like God's omniscience, like he knows all things, I, I'm just going to put a hold on that and only, only operate the omniscience of God when Father tells me to operate it. My all-powerfulness, I'll put a hold on that until the Father tells me I can operate that. And my omniscient, uh, omni, what's the other one? Omnipresence. Well, I'm, in, I'm stuck in a body now. I'm stuck in a body now and while I'm stuck in the body, I'll just, I'll be confined to the body. So he, he didn't lose those abilities because at different times he could tell you he could be somewhere and where he's not. You know, he could travel somewhere where he couldn't travel before. He could operate in those things before. But only, he says, as the Father let him so. Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing because whatever his Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him greater, even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. So here we go. He got the name and everybody was amazed. But he got the name because the Father told him, do this now, Son. So morning by morning, the Bible tells in Isaiah, he'd waken, he'd waken his ear to listen like one being taught, it says in Isaiah 50. And the Lord, the Father would say to him, Jesus, son, I want you to go and do this today. I want you to go to Samaria, but you won't go around Samaria like everybody. You'll go actually to Samaria. You'll go into Samaria because there's a woman I want you to meet at the well there. This woman, and he'd tell, and Father God tells Jesus everything about the woman at the well. So Jesus gets up and they say, come on, let's go to... Galilee, and I've got to go, I need to go to Samaria. And so he heads off. They say, well, I want to do that. You know, we don't have fellowship with these people in Samaria. And they head off to Samaria, and there they are. And Jesus meets the woman, and he does. And, they, and the woman says, amazing, amazing. You told me everything I've done. This is the Messiah. Where did, you know, Jesus says, ah, don't look too close. I can't do anything except the Father tells me I am the incarnation of Father God. Whatever Father tells me to do, that's what I do. If I knew about the other husbands, it's because Father God told me and I'm telling her. That's how he, that's how he functioned. That's how he got a name for himself. He listened to God and then did what God, and he got a great name for himself. He tells us, this is how it works. If you want to incarnate something... You have to listen very hard to the person who's you're incarnated and do what they tell you to do. Jesus came to incarnate the Father, to bring the God. His name shall be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. He came to bring God to earth in a physical form. That's why he came to do it. He came to clothe himself with the flesh to bring God to be with us. And then when he's here, he's saying, okay, God, now manifest your deity through me. And that's the incarnation. And you see all these wonderful miracles happening through Jesus. It's God who's in him doing it. God the Father showing him what needs to happen. And Jesus says in John 8, he says, The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. So here we have the attitude of a person who's incarnating somebody. He says, you know, I just want to do the thing that pleases Father God. 
And everything that Jesus did, even the most gross things that Jesus did, the most difficult things that Jesus did, he said, not my will, but yours. Not that I, what I want, but what you want. Everything he did, he did to please the one he was incarnating. He said, if I want them to see you, Father, I have to die and become less and you have to become greater in my life. When you lifted up the Son of Man and you see him hanging on the cross, you will know that I don't do my own thing, that I do what the Father tells me to do. Because it's not what I want, it's what he wants. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And he incarnated, he showed Father God to us on the cross. He lived it out. It oozed out of his life. God oozed from his pores. He says, the Father is living in me in John chapter 14, verses 9 to 11. Jesus answered, don't you know, Philip? Even I've, I've been with you. Philip says, show us the Father. They get around and have a little bit of a chat. And, and Jesus has told them that he's going to go away and he's going to leave them. And he's going to go with the Father. And, and, and he doesn't want them to be stressed out because he's got a plan. There's a plan under operation. You know? And Philip, he says, oh, come on, come on, show us the Father because they all want to see Father God. Listen to what he says. Jesus answered, don't you know, Philip, even after I have been among you for such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? How can you say, show us the Father? Now, look, this happens in our generations a little bit, you know. If you've seen my son and you saw me, you'd probably say, he's you've seen my son has seen the Father. There's some sort of similarity there. Slightly. I mean, when I was younger, yeah, I was. And now he's over 30? Yeah, he is. It's the same. It's, it's the same. Now, if I look at James Bamford and I look at him and, and I look at a picture of him, I say, James Bamford. Yeah, yeah, you know, if I see James, I've seen Warren. Because they don't like each other, aren't they? I mean, I come and look at him. Wow, you're just like your dad, you know? Oh, yeah. We do that. It's genetically, it comes, sometimes happens. You've seen Miller, you've seen Nathan, haven't you? She's just a walking Nathan in the skirt. It's just amazing. One of the things our kids did when they, they have their baby, they look at their baby, and they take a photo, and then they go back through their old photos, and they're finding their old photos. Snap. Oh, look at that. That's just like me. So in a very simple sense, Jesus is saying, if you're looking at me, you're going to see the likeness of my daddy. But this likeness is not a genetic likeness. I suppose, well, let's not talk about Jesus' genetics. It gets pretty sticky there. But it's a character. We are created in his image. And Jesus, he's got this image of God that is portrayed through him. And so when you see Jesus, you're seeing God. And, and, and he says to Peter, says to Philip, I've been here with this this long. And I've done all these things. And don't you recognize the Father? He says, everything I've done. He says, how can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing the work. 
He's saying, there's someone living in me. Father God is living in me. When I'm acting and doing the work that I'm doing, what you're seeing is not me. You're seeing Father God living through me. So he's saying, this is the way the incarnation works. I stand here and I do what I have to do. But when I'm doing what I have to do, don't look at me. Look at the one who is empowering me to do it. So Jesus is doing the healing. And they say, don't look at me. Father God told me to do that. This is what Father God does. This is how Father God, when he speaks and he's got this amazing wisdom and they say, where's he getting all his wisdom from? Don't look at me, he says, Father God told me that. He told me what to say and how to say it. Everything goes back to the source. So incarnation, everything goes back to the source. Jesus is saying, go back to the source. He's going back to the Father. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. He's saying the works that I'm doing should say you, tell you that God, Heavenly Father, is here with us right now. So we see that in Jesus. Jesus sets himself apart and his disciples as incarnators. So he actually does, he doesn't stop there. He says, and this is where John chapter 7 becomes very interesting because 17, John chapter 17 actually says he's passing this thing on now. Now Jesus is going to leave. He's going to get crucified. He's going to get killed. He's going to go to the ground. He's going to rise after, he's going to hang around for about 40, 50 days. And then he's going to take off. And he's going to leave them and he's not going to be there physically. Jesus won't be there. But he's sending the comfort, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to be there. But he's got to set them up ready for this because he wants them to incarnate the Heavenly Father. He wants them to incarnate Christ. He wants them to incarnate the Holy Spirit to the world. Well, his government is going to go on forever and ever. But through whom is it going to travel? Who will be the ones that will carry this? And this is his statement in, in John chapter 17. I have real, this is a prayer that he's praying to Father God. I have revealed you to those, so he's saying to Father God, I have revealed you, Father God, to those whom you gave me out of the world. They are yours, you gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. So he's saying, Father God, you told me who to take. And remember, he went up and prayed all night, and he chose 12 disciples. And one of them he, he chose was, Luce, uh, uh, well, was the devil was, uh, was uh, Judas, but he chose him because he had a job to do. He had to do his job. And he chose, he chose these people, and God gave them to him, and he told all the things about Father God to them that he could tell, as much as they could handle. He poured it all out, but he corrected them, he, he taught them, he, he did as much as he could. And then when he was, he's saying, Father, you've given me these people. They've they changed now. They, 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 they love you. They're, out, they're not in the world anymore. They, they're out of the world. They're your people now, God. So he's now praying for us. Or he's praying for them, the disciples. Now they know that everything I have given me comes from you. So he says, they know the connection. So the disciples actually knew that Jesus was saying and said all along that everything he did, he was coming from Father God. So they knew the connection. Remember they marveled when he changed the water and the wine. They looked at him and they marveled and they said, man, no one does things like this. This is the first miracle that he did. And they were all in awe struck of Jesus. And, and Jesus let them praise him. But then he, as he's letting them praise him, worship him, which is what God does. You can worship God, but you can't worship man. If it was an angel, you would, he would say, don't worship me. But it's Jesus, the Son of God, and he says, okay, it's okay, you worship me. That's fine. 
But then he says, listen, don't look at me. Look, at Je- look it's coming from Father God. He points back to Father God. This is the amazing thing in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit brings back the words of Jesus to you. So you remember Jesus and you glorify Jesus. He's not interested about himself. He's interested about Jesus. Jesus is more interested about the Father. He says, this is the Father, the Father, the Father. So he's not interested in himself. There's no self-orientation in the Godhead. Jesus is not saying, look at me, I'm the man. He's saying, no, look at Father God, he's the one. The Father God is bringing glory to the Son. The Father God is manifesting glory through the Holy Spirit. Everybody in the Godhead is pointing to the other person. Incarnation always puts to somebody else. It's not Mark Reed, it's Jesus in Mark. It's not Mark Reed, it's the devil in Mark. Or it's his flesh. It always points to someone else. We incarnate something. You make choices to bring something to birth and something into reality. You either make choices to bring God into reality and make him visible, or you make choices to bring your flesh and the devil and the world into into reality. Your life will reflect something. You will never be anything other than a reflection of whatever you choose to reflect. There is no independent thought here. You choose a thought. You choose an idea. What idea do you choose? Do you want to be a worldly, worldly wise person, stand around and strut your stuff, look at me? Or do you want to be a God person and say, look at him? Because there's no, there's no choice. There's only two choices. You incarnate the world and all of its passions and all of its pleasures become the expression of your life. And everybody says he's a really worldly man. Or you incarnate Jesus and everything that Jesus means becomes the expression of your life. What a godly person. What a wonderful, wholesome, godly man. So you choose. As John says, I have revealed you to those who gave me. He said, for I gave them the words you gave me and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you and they believed that you sent me. So the disciples really got the connection. They got the connection between Jesus and God and they believed that the words that Jesus was speaking were Father God's words. They got it and they understood it. And then he says this, I pray for them. I'm not praying for them, uh, so I'm not praying for the world. So Jesus is not, not actually making intercession for all the people who are lost in the world. And he's actually stopped there. He says, no, these are the ones that are going to minister into the world. I'm praying for them. I'm going away, but I'm leaving myself in them. And they're going to be here. They're going to be doing the work. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who who has given me, for they are yours, Father God. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine. All glory has come to me through them. He says, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are, going to, they are still in the world and I am coming to you. So he's actually made a statement there. He says, I'm not handing around here any longer. I'm going. But these guys are going to stick about. I'm coming to you, Father God, because that's where I came from. I'm going back to you. But I'm praying for them because they're staying here. And like it was with me and you, so it's going to be with them and us. Well, that's kind of interesting, isn't it? If you had one Jesus and he changed the whole of human history, one Jesus changing the whole of human history, 
And Jesus then says, I'm going to leave 11 here and you can make a couple more and you can make a, a dozen more and you can take a, a million more. He says, and they're all going to be just like me. You'll not change history, you'll change everything. Just imagine if Jesus was walking around and everyone here was just doing the things that Jesus would do. Everyone, if there's 120 people in this room, and I don't think there is, but if there was 120, you would do the same things that the uh, disciples did in the, in the early book of Acts. It would, it would have that effect on the world. It would turn the world upside down. Why? That's the power of incarnated living. That's the power of living God out through one's life, the Holy Spirit out through one's life. So Jesus actually is now going to tell us very clearly that it's not just the disciples who have this responsibility. He goes on and he says, My prayer is not for you to take them out of the world, but that you may protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them or set them apart by the truth. Your word is truth. So these people, these disciples had been set apart. So if I were to take Phil and I were to say, okay, Phil, out of all these people, I decide I'm going to set you apart to do a special task. I would take Phil's hand and he'd have to agree because he's a big guy. If he didn't want to agree, he wouldn't get up. But, uh, you know, this is going to cost you everything. He'd probably kill you. You know, he might not want to get up. You know, it's, it's, this, is, this is bad. You know, this is the end of you if you do move, you know, okay? And he's got to make a real, you know, unless you count the cost, you're not going to. So he decided he wants to come. He's come now. He's set apart. So he's set apart on the chair on which I set apart for him to set apart on. Now, now that set apartness, I mean, he's put to the side. That's it. Now he has a different function, now, a different job, a different. He has a different future than what he had there. When he was there, it was one thing. When he was there, it's completely different now. He's been set apart. If he was in the world then, he's not of the world any longer. If he was in the world there living like everybody else did in the world, running businesses and doing everything that everybody else in the world does there, that was okay. But right now here, he doesn't have a choice. He only has one Lord. And one Lord is going to tell him what to do. He, back there, he thought he was looking after his own business. Now he's not looking after his own business. He's looking after God's business. That's his only choice. His only choice is, how can I please you, Father God? And so as he stands up, as he expresses, what you see is Father God living out of his life, living through his life, waving at you and speaking to you because he's not doing it of his own accord. Father God is teaching him what to say and how to say it. And his life now becomes an expression not of him, but of the one who empowers him to live. Do you get that? That's being set apart. You don't want to go back there, do you? No, no, it's not getting a hug from me. So what does Jesus say? Now he makes it really specific. Because you think, oh yeah, well that's just the 12 disciples. You know, well that's just the 11 disciples and the others they add to them. They were a special brew, you know. They're the ones that walked around with Jesus. They're the ones that saw it all happen. That's all right for them. Don't ask me to do that because that's a heavy order for me. Jesus looks through the annals of time. He looks through all of history and he looks down and he sees Rachel faint sitting there beside her mother. He sees Brian Dick sitting there and Amber, he sees you sitting there. And he prays this prayer. 
My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's you. Well, it took the disciples and they went preaching and they went preaching all around the Middle East and all there. They got converted and the church got established. And you can go over there now and you can look at the rock where they had the first church and look at the building stones of the other ones. You can go and see that. And church history moved on. The Middle Ages, you can go to Europe and find all the churches and big cathedrals where they used to kill people for their faith in Jesus and all this sort of other. You can go through. You can see it all. It's all there. The annals of history. When Jesus prayed for those who would believe, he prayed for the people who would hear the truth of God's word that was being preached through or communicated through the life of somebody and who would believe in him even though he wasn't there. So he was looking at you, at your life. And this has an application to each one of us. So you could put your name in there. I pray for Mark who will believe in me through their message. Somebody preached and I listened and I got converted. He's praying for me right there, that verse. He's praying for me. He's praying for you, for those who would believe. Even after he'd gone a long time, people kept on preaching and now he's praying for us. Listen to what he says. That all of them may be one Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He's saying, Lord, like you have incarnated yourself into my life and I'm you and you and me and we're all mixed up in this one glorious big lump of one unity. He says, make it the same for them and us. Make them the same. Let them all be wrapped up in us so that we become... One with them and they are one with us so that when they walk and I'm talking that people are feeling the Holy Spirit convicting their hearts. When I'm speaking that the Holy Spirit is speaking into their hearts, they can hear Jesus speaking to the Father. God convicts them. It's all happening. What's happening is happening in them and God is speaking out of my mouth, out of my life. When I'm doing something, people say, why are you doing that? Why would you do that? Why, don't you, why would you do that? Would you do that because Jesus would want you to do that? And it's like, you know, they see Jesus in the actions. That you do. That's what he's praying for. He's praying for an army of Jesus. An army of flesh and blood that is controlled by Jesus. He's looking at an army of dead, dead men's bones and he commands them to come to life and they all stand up and he breathes the Spirit into them and stands up an army full of God. Full of God. Not full of yourself, full of God. So that you're so passionate for him. He becomes the thing that oozes out of your life. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that we, the world may believe that you have sent us. I have given them glory, the glory you gave me, that they may, that, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. You know, part of the problem of world evangelism isn't doctrinal unity, which is oftentimes used. If we could only get back to doctrinal unity, all be one doctrine, then it would be fine. We could solve the problem. It's because all the division in the church that the world doesn't believe. Yeah, that's true. The, the, all the division in the church does produce a lot of unbelief in people's lives. But I want to tell you something. Jesus lives and acts in certain ways in spite of your doctrine. 
Like love doesn't need a doctrine of love. Love is very clear. So if you live in a life of love and you walk in love and you do what Jesus, it doesn't matter what doctrine you believe to, it's going to look the same. It's going to manifest God through you. Charity to a person who's in need, pouring out your life for somebody who's in need, it doesn't, it doesn't matter what church you belong to, it's going to look the same. They're not going to ask, what denomination do you belong to? They'll know that you belong to Jesus because you're doing what Jesus, you want to pray for them because they're sick, you're desirous that they get well. They're not going to say, what church do you believe in? They'll know that the doctrine in you is the person of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus. That's where the unity lies, in the way we express God. And Paul exhorts us to live this life of expression. These are the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore be imitators of God as dear children. I always wondered, how can you imitate? We know that kids mimic. They do. They just, they just copy. Whatever you do, they do the same, you know. They sit, they watch their brothers and their sisters, they do, they sit and they do it too. They think it's funny, you know. But their little brother does this and the other little brother does this and the other one goes, like that. Ah, they all laugh because he just copied them doing something silly. And when that goes on too much, dad will say, boy, there's a spirit of foolishness in this place. Will you settle down, children? And the kids go, <laughs> they're all watching each other and copying one another. That's called peer group copying. You all do that. You know, if a, if a stud in the ear is trendy, everybody gets a stud in the ear. You don't know why you did it, but it's just like, that's cool. Put it in the side of your nose, it's even cooler. So everybody gets one on the side of their nose because it's cooler. And then they get inked because inked is cool. Maybe it's not cool. That's a bad one. If you get it, think it's cool, and then it turns out not to be cool, you'd have to be hmm, committed to that one, wouldn't you? <laughs> we copy. We mimic. That's the way we do things. And children, whether you like it or not, mimic their dads and their mums. They model them. They look at them. Whatever you do, the child will do. It's, monkeys do what they do they, because they, they, they follow their parents. And you like to say, My, I, I, I don't do what that child of mine does. That child of mine is a very wicked and naughty child. I would never have done that. You did once. And probably your attitude has uh, fed into that somewhat and uh, maybe, maybe that's contributed to the problem. Maybe not all the problem, but they will do what they learn to do through your life. Children learn that way. It's a bit scary, isn't it, when you think about your way you raise kids? It's scary completely, isn't it? It's like, well, who would do that? Isn't that scary, Leanne, the way you raise kids? You think, you see, I talked to Leanne, Leanne, yeah, you just got your both. <laughs> You know, it's a responsibility that's kind of awful, isn't it? You know that Eli is the spitting image of his father. Not really. But you do, you do things that just, that's part of what we learn. Like if you're born in Africa and you're raised in Africa, you do things that are African, which are not like us. And we don't think like us. I, I just thank God that you're here. But it's different. English is different to African, it's different to Swiss, it's different to German, it's different to... It's all different. But we will mimic. We will mimic. So he says, okay, given that you have lost your identity as being born of a human seed, 
You've been born again now by the Spirit of God. So the difference between you and Jesus is only a slight difference. You're both sons of God. He is son by birth. You are son by adoption. He is son by birth. You are son by adoption and chosen by God. So God now has come and says, you're chosen now. You, know, you, don't, you don't have to worry about the way your daddy brought you up. Because he's got an our heavenly father here now. And he says, Paul says, you know, learn to imitate him. Do the imitating thing, yes, but imitate. Incarnate your Father through your life. Bring your Father's presence into your life and then bring it out through your life. Look at the world through your Father's eyes. Look at the world through your Father's emotions. Look at the world through your Father's thoughts. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. Look at them through His eyes. Mimic Him. See, Paul is actually calling you to this incarnated living. He's calling to you a place where you start to live like Jesus. Act like Jesus. Think like Jesus. This is what he says. Therefore, as dear, therefore, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us, an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savour. So what, what you have there is you, you have this idea. Big Brother showed you how to live this love out by self, self-sacrificing. Model that. Do that. And then he says, Turn away from all the bad stuff. You, you read the next few passages of Scripture through Ephesians 5. and it, it says, turn away from all the bad stuff. It says, you know, therefore don't do the bad stuff. And it lists a whole lot of bad stuff there, which it says you shouldn't be doing because you're now a good guy. You're following Jesus. You're mimicking in Christ. In verse 8, he says, For once you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of, of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and in truth. Finding out what pleases the Lord. Exactly the same as Jesus was saying, oh, I, I don't do anything. I just do what pleases Father God. Now we have the same thing coming toward us. Find out what pleases Father God. So as we're going through life, we should be sitting there. As we wake up in the morning, what would please you, Father God? What would you be pleased with? And if the devil whispers in your ear and he says to go and do such and such and such and such and you think, oh, that wouldn't really please God, would it? Well, then you are only got one choice because your choice is to incarnate Christ, not to live as the world. So then you begin to do differently. He says, have no fellowship with the bad stuff, he goes on to say. So he says in this, he says in this thing, you know, expose the bad stuff. He says, but follow Mimic, model yourself after Jesus. Incarnate Christ in your life. So the incarnation is made possible through the indwelling of the Spirit of Jesus, who is the fullness of God. So the only reason that you can incarnate God is that you can get rid of your old man, the old person, and God in his fullness comes and dwells within you. You can't really incarnate anything unless you get full of something. Jesus couldn't incarnate God unless he was fully God. So now we can't incarnate Jesus unless we are full of God in the same way, in the same sense. Now this is what they said about Jesus. The Son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. So if you looked at Jesus, the Bible said he is the radiance of God's glory. 
you looked at him, everything that he did, everything that he said, you, you, you spend time reading that, watching that through the Gospels, and you get a glimmer, you get a sight of God in action in the flesh. In verse uh, 15 of Colossians chapter 1, it says, The Son is the image of the invisible God. That tells you how he created it. But he's the image of the invisible God. So I can't see him. Okay, you want an image of the thing that you can't see? Look at Jesus. He is the image of the thing that you can't see. How can I believe in Jesus? I don't see Jesus. Where are you, Jesus? You ask me to believe in Jesus, but I don't believe in anything I can't see or I can't touch or I can't feel. That's the axiom of our society. What I can't see, what I can't touch, and what I can't feel is not real. How can you ask me to believe in something spiritual? How do you know there's even anything after death? We can't, I don't know. You know we, we live in a world that does have no confidence in anything spiritual. All we really see and all we really believe is what we can tangibly touch. There is some wisdom in modeling Jesus if you're living in a community that won't believe unless they can tangibly see something. To live differently to the world is to create an image of the eternal Father in front of a world that is going to hell has no idea of God. To live out the life of Jesus through your life is to create a visual for people who have no idea what Jesus could look like. They can see Jesus in you and have a tangible demonstration of what it looks like to be touched by the hand of God. It says there, he was the firstborn over all creation. Verse 16 says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is Jesus. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. So in Jesus, this man walking around, bearded, bearded, sandals, hairy legs and a dress, walking around, had the fullness of God in him. Now we were talking about the fullness of God. How much is the fullness? It's everything. Everything of God was in Jesus. So he's walking around and he's got everything of God, the fullness of God in him. He can speak to the water, be still, and it will stop. He can speak to the water, stand firm, and he can walk on top of it. All the fullness of God is in him. He can speak to the life, multiply, and it will multiply out and feed thousands. He can speak to a dead man, come to life, and it will stand up. None of that, none of that has been dismissed from our lives as though we can't do anything all of that is wrapped up in the gifts of the holy spirit which are given to us to operate all of those things faith to move mountains faith to call the dead back to life we've seen it we've seen videos of people commanding people to come back to life and then coming back to life and then telling what they was was what they saw when they were dead we've seen it this is not just Jesus now. The fullness of God is living in Jesus. But how did it get into us? 
And if it really isn't us, do we really live with it like it's us? The fullness of God is incarnated into us, the Bible says. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 29, 27, it says, To whom God would make known that what is the riches of the glory of his mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Everybody say that. Christ in me. Yeah, Christ in me, because you're talking about yourself now. Christ in me, the hope of glory. You know... Sometimes Christ in you is just an inconvenient conscience. Seriously. That's about the level of it. Christ in you, the inconvenient conscience. Not the fullness of God, but the inconvenient conscience because Christ in you is telling you, stop, don't do this. And you never get to raise the dead because you don't hear enough to stop doing the bad stuff. You, think you could stop doing the bad stuff enough to listen to the Father and please Him, you'd probably raise the dead. You think, Faithful in small things, faithful in big things. You go, oh, I don't know, it's not for me. You know, why don't you just stop sinning for a little while and start doing the right thing? You might find that God's got a ministry in there because the fullness of God lives in there. You know, Jesus inside of you is not just an inconvenient conscience. Jesus inside is the power of God, the fullness of God living within you, ready to work to make an image present in the face of a world that doesn't know God. Incarnating Christ is not just walking around trying to do the right thing by people. It's bringing God into the situation. Wherever you are, bringing God into the, into the situation so God can be seen. He says, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in, their, in love so that they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ in whom is hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. In Christ, who lives in you, is hidden all the wisdom of treasure, treasure of wisdom and knowledge. All the treasure of wisdom and knowledge resides within you. Oh, I wish I could get to it sometimes. Well, I need a bit of wisdom. I don't know how to get through next week. Gee, you've been dumbed down. You've been dumbed down so bad. You live in somewhere where Jesus never intended you to live. If Jesus, the fullness of God, is residing within you and hidden Him, and it's the treasure of all wisdom and knowledge, and you're sitting there going, God, I don't know what's happening in life. You've been dumbed down so bad, you've lost something. You've lost something of what you're meant to be. You're meant to shine like a star in the darkness, and you've been bleaking like a little torch that's just gone out. You've lost it. Listen, incarnate Christ. Bring yourself into consciousness of where he lives and what he's doing inside of you and get to agree with him. Agree with him and then let Jesus ooze out of your life. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy because the devil's out there trying to blind your mind. Here you are sitting there, well, that's really great news, Mark. I'm just thinking about that. That's awfully big, what you just said. Like if the fullness of God resides in me, why do I battle over the littlest of things? If, if what you're saying is true, there's a huge gap between where I'm living and what I, I have the potential of doing. A huge gap. 
Yes, there is a huge gap. We want to help you with that gap to make it shrink it smaller so that you can at the end of the year stand up and shine like God wants you to shine. It's time, friends, that Jesus is coming back. I don't want to be sniveling around, climbing in the back door of heaven. I want to come and say, I'm gone for God. Jesus, shine through my life. No more, Mark. Yes, Jesus, everything you. Listen to what it says. Verse 9, for in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. That's pretty powerful. Everything that God is, he stands outside of the universe, he speaks the universe into being, bang, billions and trillions and quadrillions of stars in place, all doing the things. He speaks into to earth and, and life forms and comes to being and he, he makes humanity. He, he, he speaks into humanity's lostness and, and saves us from our sins. The fullness of God now manifests itself into the body of Christ. Changes humanity and history. Changes our lives because we believe in Him. Comes in and dwells us by the Holy Spirit. This is, and in Him, in Christ, you have been brought, everybody say it, to fullness. Fullness. Well, you've got to either believe you're in the fullness or you've got to believe your class is empty. But you've got to believe. Not quite full, is it? If you look at it, not quite full, is it? It could be fuller. Some of us are functioning like that. Not quite full. You're doing all right if you've got that much going. Some of us are about that much. So your experience will tell you one thing where the Word of God will tell you something completely different. Your experience will tell you you've only got a drop of God inside because as much as you know of God, it's just a conscience. Just a drop, that's all. The barest essential, just enough to know the difference between right and wrong, not enough to actually do anything about it. Your experience will tell you one thing, but the Word of God tells you something else. Is this Israel's brother? No, is this somebody else's little child? <laughs> Thank you, the dolphin. The Word of God tells you something completely different. The Word of God tells you that much is living in that glass. That's fullness. Like you see, there's no bubbles at the top. You see no bubbles at the top? You can't get any more juice than that because there's all the juice that can go on that. See that? It's full, completely full. Where's the bubble? Well, look, there's no bubble. Why? It's fullness. Well, there should be a bubble somewhere, shouldn't there? Well, there's no bubble because it's completely full. The Word of God says your life is like that with God in it. Your experience tells me that you're a drop inside. Now, what's true? Tell me, what's true? Is your experience true or the Word of God true? The Word of God is true. That makes you a liar. If the word of God is true, then you must be a liar. Then you are judging by your experience and not by the truth. If the truth says there is no small shortfall in your life, all that you need for life and godliness is in Christ Jesus and he's in you, then that's the truth. Everything that you need is there. So if you don't, if you don't harness it, you know what the big problem with that is? That you are now guilty. Why are you guilty? Because it's not like you didn't know that you had it. You had it, but you didn't use what you had. 
That's the scary thing. Living on a drop when you know you could have the lot. Living on a drop when you know you could take all that he has and, and work it out into your life. You just didn't have the boldness and the faith to do it. And that's not him saying, I didn't provide it for you. He says, I've given you everything that you need. Just do it now. Just incarnate me now. What will that look like, Rohenji? What will that look like when you stand up and let Jesus shine out of your life in such a powerful way? When you stand before people and they see Christ in you, Jesus in you. They see the fullness. People don't like going to church because it's full of hypocrites. Yeah, I know that. They're full of people who are walking around empty. Listen, you're always going to have empty people in church because that's why they come. Because they are empty. They're looking for something. The reality is Jesus is here and he can give you fullness. This is what Paul says. In verse chapter 3 he says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That's the whole idea. The fullness of God can dwell in your hearts through faith. You have to exercise faith. You have to say, oh, look, I'm, I'm in a hard time here, Lord Jesus. I don't seem to know where the money is going to come from. I don't know how I'm going to get through next week. But you know what? I'm standing and I'm believing. I'm going to trust you that you're going to provide all of my needs. And even if it doesn't come this week, I'll, stand and I'll, I'll believe for it next week. And if it doesn't come next week, I'll stand and I'll believe for the third week. And if I die without receiving, I'll stand and believe till I die. Whether I get it or not, not the matter. It's the point of standing and believing. Christ may dwell in your heart, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and how high and long and how deep is the love of Christ, and to know the love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to all the measure of all the fullness of God. How much does He want you to have? All the measure of all the fullness of God. He's praying, oh, that they would be filled to all the measure of all the fullness of God. All of it. At the beginning of the year, what do you want to do? Sneak around till the end of the year and say, happy, happy Christmas, Jesus. Or do you want to be full of God at the beginning and full through the middle and full at the end? Full of God. He's praying for us. Oh, that they may receive the fullness of now, and you say, okay, how does that happen? He says exactly how it happens. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than you can ask or think or imagine, according to his power that is at work outside of us, somewhere in heaven, somewhere away from us. No, where is it? Up in heaven? I get on my knees. I've been praying all day, Bruce, and it hasn't come to me. Where is it? Where is this power you're talking about? Where does the Bible say the power resides? In you, according to his power that is work within us. You know what you need to do is get acquainted with the one who is in you. Get acquainted with the one who is in you. Jesus, I don't know you real well. I kind of figured you're just my conscience, but you're more than that, aren't you, Jesus? Yeah, you are. Jesus, I'm going to spend this next week, I'm going to spend time praying and talking to you because if I don't talk to you, if I don't spend time in proximity with you, I'm not going to get to know you, am I? 
If I don't spend time reading your word and listening to you, I'm not going to know what your words are. But when I read your words, they will resonate because you are resonant within me and then they will be in me then. And then out of that will come life more abundant. As you sit there and soak up the words of God, he'll become stronger and stronger and stronger. And then your actions and your life will be an incarnation of his actions and his life. You'll be living his life through your physical body. Amen? Yep. He told us in this passage of Scripture that he's going to put pastors and apostles and prophets and evangelists and teachers in the church so that we can all come to that fullness. Listen, he says, I'm not leaving you alone to try and discover this by yourself. You're meant to connect with a body of people, and in that body of people, I'm going to put people who teach you and guide you, and they're going to help you. And the reason they're going to help you is they're going to bring you into a place where you become mature and perfect, and you'll be able to express the fullness of God. Listen, this whole idea, I just do Jesus by myself. I don't need to go to church to be okay with God, you know. God is everywhere. I can do God on the beach. I really don't have to hang around with gaudy people to do this. He says, you know, if you really want this fullness to come out, he says, I put people in the church to bring it out in your life, to make it manifest in your life. Why are we doing this series this year? Why is this our theme? Because our burden and our desire is that you become little Jesus everywhere you go. I want to create a problem for the devil. I want to create a huge problem for the devil. Not a small problem, a huge problem. I want the devil running with his tail, running away, knowing that, watch out, CDM's on the loose. You've got Jesus in hospitals and Jesus at homes and Jesus in school and Jesus in the workplace and Jesus everywhere you look. This little Jesus is running around everywhere on a farm. They're jumping up. Jesus is there. Everywhere you are, Jesus is there. Where he is, there I am. Where I am, there he is. What he says, that's how I speak. What he feels, that's what I feel. What he thinks, that's what I think. What I, I'm going to be his little man. Everywhere I can, I will be his man. And if you sit in here, you can come on the ride with me because you can become his little person as well. Because that's our ambition this year. Amen? We were born again to incarnate Jesus.